Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio. I am your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair, and I want to tell you today that stress is good for you. Stress is essential to your health, your fitness, and your mental well-being. Stress is a gift. Today's show is all about stress, but not really about stress, rather about how to see stress differently. That's the type of stuff I love to talk about on Vitality Radio, and today I'm very excited to deliver this show because I wrote it last week, and we had a power outage about when I was going to record the show, and then my schedule just got backed up like crazy. So I did run a rerun last week locally on the radio here in Salt Lake City and also on the podcast. But today is a fresh episode for April 24th, two thousand. 21, and I am so excited to be with you. Vitality Radio, always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition and Bountiful at 107 South, 500 West. You can call us at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Okay, so today I've got two topics for you. We're going to talk about stress, and we're going to get into it in a different way than I ever have before, and it is by request that I discuss this topic in this way by a uh, longtime friend and customer of ours at Vitality Nutrition. And I think it's going to be very, very interesting to you. Probably some of it intuitive, but maybe some of it not so much. Certainly, uh, the people that I was talking to on the phone when we came up with this idea for the show wanted more information on it. So that's what we're going to talk about for the bulk of the show. But of course... If you know me and you know Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio podcast, you know that I must first get something off of my chest. It's time for the Vital Rant. In a world full of often confusing messages about health, let Jared be your guide through the smoke screens of corporate greed, media bias, government ineptitude, and propaganda. When you see what is really happening, you'll be ranting too. It's time to expose the hidden agendas. It's time for the truth. It's time for the vital rant. Propaganda in Utah tells me that to get back to some semblance of normal, it all starts with me getting vaccinated for COVID-19. Do you believe it? The governor of this state of Utah in which I live is literally through digital billboards telling me that in order for me to have my freedom back, freedom to go to concerts, freedom to go to movies, freedom to see an entire congregation at church, freedom to give hugs, freedom to have birthday parties, freedom to go to sporting events and to travel, that I need to get vaccinated for COVID-19. So in other words, my daddy, the governor, will stop grounding me 
if I do just what I'm told. So all I ask of our benevolent dictators is that they tell both sides of this story, which you will not hear very many places, but you'll hear it on Vitality Radio. While we still live in a pseudo-free country, you get to decide if you want to get one of the COVID shots or not. And I strongly encourage you to make that decision based on doing your own research before you choose yay or nay. What is happening, based on what I've been able to tell, is people are taking the approach that, hey, if the government green-lighted these things, then they must be safe. But then Johnson & Johnson's vaccine was put on pause. The poor thing was put into timeout for bad behavior. So what was the bad behavior? Well, eight blood clots being investigated, according to USA Today and CNN and Fox News and KSL and everybody else in the world is reporting eight blood clots. Well, that doesn't sound like a lot. Two deaths. That's not good, right? That's We don't want any deaths from vaccination for COVID-19. But what I don't understand is why only eight of the blood clots are actually being investigated. Yes, I say that because there have been a lot more blood clots than that and not by just the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So the news is that Johnson & Johnson's vaccine has been put on pause, meaning it cannot be administered right now. Now, as of the middle part of this week, uh, there was an estimation that potentially by the time this show airs on Saturday the 24th, that that pause will have been lifted. I don't know why, because... I don't know what the investigation is showing other than we have two people dead and six people severely injured and in hospitals in intensive care right after getting the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. But the question I raised before is, why are we only investigating eight of these things? Children's Health Defense queried what's called the VAERS data uh, base, and VAERS is Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. Now, most people don't know that there is such a thing as VAERS. And if you did not know this, I'm not surprised because nobody talks about it. It's a very well-guarded secret. But there is something called VAERS, and it's the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. This is a system that was set up by the federal government back in 1986, I believe, if I have the number right, where... Instead of suing a vaccine manufacturer for becoming injured from a vaccine, you had to sue the federal government. But first, you have to report it to VAERS to tell them that you had an injury or suspect an injury from a vaccine. So this has been around for a long time, since way before COVID-19 was a thought in any of our heads. And the VAERS system has paid out $4.1 billion in awards to people who've been hurt or killed from vaccines over that time. But the COVID vaccine is interesting because there are a lot more concerns about this vaccine than there have been about any vaccine previous to it by far. A lot of people who are fully pro-vaccine and get their shots on a, you know, any whatever the regular schedule is and get their flu shot are hesitant, according to news reports, about getting this particular vaccine. And for good reason. It's a brand new thing. It has not technically been approved by the FDA. This is important to understand. It has not been approved by the FDA through the normal process that vaccines must usually go through, which typically takes over a decade. These vaccines haven't been around for 
even over a year yet, right? It's just been months. And so they've been approved only for emergency use, which means the FDA considers them experimental drugs. That's an important differentiator versus a drug that's gone through the full process. So because of that, there are many Americans and people worldwide who are more hesitant about this vaccine, especially considering that 99.74%, according to the CDC, of people who get sick from COVID-19 recover from COVID-19. 99.74%. That's a pretty high percentage. I can't think of any other area of my life that I have done anything extraordinary to prevent a 0.26% chance of death. If I have that high of a percentage chance of death in driving, and I still drive, right? So my point being that these are extraordinary circumstances, and yet we're being told by our government officials that, yeah, in order to get our freedom back, we must vaccinate. So what I really want from the government, and I think everybody is a citizen of this state, if you live in Utah with me or in this country, or for that matter, in this world, would love to have from their government leaders is just the whole truth, right? And I don't really care what side of this you come down on, other than I hope that you did some research to make that decision. Because a well-researched decision is going to be a better decision, regardless of what it is, but especially when it's something that you're putting into your body that is an experimental drug. So this VAERS system, back to the blood clots, they researched Children's Health Defense Network. They queried the VAERS data for a series of adverse events associated with the formation of clotting disorders, and other related conditions. And VAERS yielded a total, and this is as of April 8th, a total of 795 reports for all three vaccines. Of the 795 cases reported, there were 400 reports attributed to the Pfizer vaccine, 337 to Moderna, and 56 reports with Johnson & Johnson, far more than the eight J&J cases under investigation, including the two additional cases that were added last week. So, 795 cases reported and eight being investigated. I don't know if there's, are not all blood clots created equal? I don't know what the deal is. I don't understand also why the Johnson & Johnson vaccine has been put in timeout and the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine have not. I, I don't understand that. I don't see any reason for that. These numbers that I'm giving you, the 795, which is not a large number, I admit that. There's millions of vaccines that have been administered. But 795 total that are, you know, I guess confirmed reports of blood clotting from these three vaccines, why they're only investigating eight of them. I don't understand that and why they put a pause on Johnson & Johnson, but not Moderna and Pfizer. Your guess is as good as mine. But as the Defender reported earlier this week, Although the J&J &J and AstraZeneca COVID vaccines have been under the microscope for their potential to cause blood clots, mounting evidence does suggest that Pfizer and Moderna vaccines also cause clots and related blood disorders. And U.S. regulatory officials were alerted to the problem as far back as December of 2020. So we've known this for four months. Children's Defense Network also asked for uh, more information from the VAERS system. Now, this is important to understand because I don't want to any of this to be misconstrued. None of these numbers are numbers that Children's Health Defense came up with. They're not numbers that I came up with. They're not numbers that are in a meme 
floating around the internet. These are numbers from the government of the United States of America through the VAERS reporting system. So everything I'm reading to you, these are actual numbers that the government has released into the public domain, okay? So my preference if our politicians are going to put things on billboards and other means of propaganda, then they just should tell us all the story, right? So instead of saying, if you want to get back to a full congregation in church, you need to get vaccinated, then maybe they should say, if you want to get back to a full congregation in church, we suggest vaccination. I like that a little better. It's not ideal, but it's a little better. But know that you do run a risk from these vaccines. I don't think that that's too much to ask, but I remember these same billboards. You've seen them. If you've driven up and down the Wasatch Front, you've seen these billboards all over the place. It's like every third digital billboard has got a message from the government that you're paying for with your tax dollars that is stating these things. And early on, they said, find out why the vaccine is safe. The COVID-19 vaccine is safe. I don't even know what that means. Find out why it's safe. Find out how it's safe. What, what, I don't know what it means. And then the question is, is it safe? And we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. I stated this just a month or so ago. We know some things about the vaccine. The biggest thing being that it's not an approved drug through the traditional process. It's an experimental drug. But what we don't know are what the short-term side effects are and the long-term side effects. And we don't know the long-term side effects for a long time, right? But there are some numbers that they could share with us that might make people think twice, but they don't want people to think twice. And you may be one out there right now disagreeing with me and saying, we don't want people to think twice about this. We want people to just get the vaccine so we can get back to normal. I don't think that that's happening myself, but maybe we could get back to some semblance of normal. But it's, regardless, is the vaccine what's going to get us there? And is it worth whatever inherent risk might be there? Because one of the things that they keep talking about in the national news, and I've seen so many articles and interviews about this, is how are we going to get people to not be scared of this vaccine? Well, the best way to do it is to lie about it or rather hide a lot of the truth. So what is the truth according to the federal government of the United States of America? Well, every Friday, VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, makes public all vaccine injury reports received through a specified date, usually about a week prior to the release date. So today's data shows that between December 14th and April 8th, a total of 68,000 347 total adverse events were reported to VAERS. I'm going to tell you that again, okay? So between December 14th and April 8th, about four months, right? Not quite four months. A total of 68,347 total adverse events were reported. So almost 70,000 adverse events to the COVID-19 vaccines, including 2,602 deaths. 2,600 deaths is not a small number. An increase of 260 over the previous week. Now, that's interesting. So the deaths climbed by 10% in just one week. And then 8,285 serious injuries, which is up over 300 since last week. So 68,000 adverse events reported, 2,600 deaths, 8,200 serious injuries. 
Now, based on previous government estimates, only about 1% of adverse reactions to vaccines ever get reported. Now, these are where I'm going to give you some numbers, some potential numbers. These are not numbers from the government, and this isn't me really even making up numbers because I don't know what the numbers are. But the key here is that we don't know what the numbers are, okay? So let's go into this for just a second. If only 1% of adverse reactions to vaccines ever get reported, that means that like 6.8 million people potentially could be injured by the vaccine by now. Now, if it was 6.8 million people, my best guess is there would be more coverage of it, maybe not through mainstream media, who seems to be covering up a lot of this information and censoring a lot of this information. But we'd be hearing more about it. So I don't think it's that big of a number. Not yet. But what if 10% are reporting instead of 1%, which has been traditionally the case? Well, that's still 683,000 people. And that's a number that I could maybe think is pretty possible. Maybe it's higher, maybe it's lower, but 683,000 people is more people than have died from COVID-19 in this country, which is about 580,000. So maybe these numbers, and maybe if you don't extrapolate and make any assumptions that maybe only 1% are being reported or 10% are being reported, maybe if it's just the ones that are being reported, that's still 68,000 injuries and 2,600 deaths in less than four months. So... If those numbers were on the billboard, if it said in order to get back to, you know, traveling or to hugging your family or having gatherings of 50 or more or going to a sporting event or whatever, you should consider getting vaccinated. But know that up to this date, 68,000 people have reported adverse events and 2,600 people have reported a death. I don't know if those billboards would not be as effective. What do you think? Because propaganda is what it is, and it is designed to kind of take your eye off the ball and misguide you into thinking something that may not be totally true. Now, one of the great ways to persuade people is to tell people half-truths or mix a little bit of truth in with a lot of fiction. And the biggest things we do know versus what we don't know when it comes to this virus and this vaccine is that we know how dangerous the virus potentially is. There's a lot of question marks about the reporting on what people are actually dying from who die with COVID-19, but that's beside the point. Let's just say that all of these are accurate, that there really are 580,000 deaths in America from COVID-19. Well, we know that 99.74% of people that get it don't die. And that the vast majority of people who do die are old and have an average of 2.6 other comorbidities, meaning they were very ill with something else that could potentially kill them when they got COVID-19. And that's not to cheapen their lives at all. My mother and my father both died in their 70s, which is a prime time where people with COVID are dying. And that means something to me. So in no way do I want you to think that I'm cheapening the lives of someone who may be close to death and COVID pushes them over the edge potentially. But the point being that if we're all expected to get this, we ought to also have some really strong evidence that it's not more dangerous than COVID-19 itself. Is that too much to ask? I had somebody send me a message on Facebook telling me that I was a danger because of the 
the things that I say on this show. And I don't feel that that's true because everything I say on this show, specifically when it comes to COVID-19, I have documentation to back up these numbers. And the documentation is coming from the Centers for Disease Control. So I'm not making any of this stuff up. I'm just asking honest questions. And I think it's fair to have an honest question be asked and have an honest debate about it. And you don't have to agree with me. I don't care. I don't expect you to agree with me. What I do hope that you'll do is at least look into it and see what you can see and find what you can find and then make a decision that's right for you. Because any medical intervention, any, any medical intervention has risk. And I would dare say, and this is my opinion here, that a medical intervention that has extremely limited research that's been done on it and that is only for emergency use because it hasn't gone through the regulatory process that other drugs go through and is considered an experimental drug would probably bear a higher risk. Again, my opinion. But any intervention has a risk. And therefore, if you're going to do a medical intervention, regardless of whether it's vaccination or a new prescription drug that your doctor's recommended or even jumping on something that's over the counter, or heck, even if you buy an herb from a health food store like Vitality Nutrition, you probably should do a little bit of research on that first. Or maybe it's a lot of research, depending on what it is and how serious it is and how much we know about it. And then you make the best decision for you and your family. And that's all I really want. I just want freedom. I want the ability to make that decision. I'd like to have all the data. Because one of the things that I think that we all can agree on to some extent, and I, I guess I could be wrong we live in a very divided country right now for sure, right? But one of the things that I think most of us can agree on right now is simply this, that government as a general rule has proven over the many decades that it has existed in this country that just blindly following our leaders, so to speak, can be a treacherous path to take. And I don't believe that you should blindly follow anybody, least of all me. But I do ask the questions, and I hope that you appreciate that, even if you disagree. So that's the rant for today. I'm going to have to cut to a quick break. And when I come back, we're going to talk about the primary topic, which I think is maybe as valid a topic as we could possibly talk about right now, other than maybe COVID-19. And that is stress. And we're going to talk about how stress, stress is actually good for you. So that's what we're going to talk about when we come back. Let me give you a couple of statistics to just noodle on for a minute while we go to a break. According to U.S. stress statistics, 77% of people regularly experience physical symptoms caused by stress. On the other hand, another 73% reported experiencing psychological symptoms. Only 48% of the participants say stress hurts their personal and professional life. Only 48%, half, okay? In 2015, 16.1 million Americans reported experiencing major depression during the previous year. 16.1, that's a pretty big number. Often struggling to function while grappling with crippling darkness and despair. It doesn't sound all that great, does it? Not at all. But today, when I come back, I will share with you my thoughts on stress and why it can actually be a blessing in your life. I'm Jared St. Clair, 
Vitality Radio is brought to you by Vitality Nutrition and Bountiful. If you have questions about anything that you've heard, and if you're in the sound of my voice, even if you're not close to Bountiful or Vitality Nutrition, you can just call us. It's 801-292-6662. I'm going to cut to a break. When I come back, we're going to talk all about stress and how it just might actually be good for us. I'm Jared Sinclair, and this is Vitality Radio. After decades of helping people with their nutritional supplement needs, I have observed something that seems almost universal. People seem to have a lot of products that they have experimented with. Some might have been recommended by a blog or online, others from a magazine article, and yet another by a friend or family member. Information is coming at us at a rapid pace nowadays, and everyone has an opinion. The problem is that there is only one really big wild card in health and nutrition, and that wild card is you. I know you've heard the infomercials, seen the ads, or talked to that neighbor who has that cure-all product that can do it all for your health. The problem is that supplement doesn't exist. What's right for your neighbor isn't always right for you. At Vitality Nutrition, we've been asking the right questions for years. What I mean by this is, we don't just sell supplements, we consult with our clients and ask them the key questions needed to make sure we match the right supplement to the right person. If you feel better about a team approach to your health, give us a call and one of our well-educated Vitality team members will answer your questions and help you find just what it is that you need to address your health concerns naturally. You can reach us at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or drop us an email. Info at vitalityradiopod.com. That's info at vitalityradiopod.com. Welcome back to Vitality Radio. I am your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair. It's good to be with you again on another episode of Vitality Radio. And as I uh, discussed in the rant, there's this education is everything and perspective and perception also play a big role, uh, maybe the biggest role of all. What your perception is of what I say is going to be different than what my perception is of what I say, certainly, but also of the person in the car next to you listening. It's really crazy how that works and it has a whole lot to do with how our subconscious minds were wired when we were very, very young. As such, I think it's really critical right now that we think critically about these things, that we ask ourselves if we're being honest with ourselves in our perceptions based on whatever perspective that we have. And that really is, a, to a large extent, what I try to do on Vitality Radio is just give you a different perspective. Again, you may not agree with it, and I don't particularly expect you to or even want you to necessarily, but I do find that in my own life, when I question my own perspective, and I try to gain a view from another individual's eyes, I learn. I learn a lot. And more than anything, I feel like I learn a lot about myself, and that has value, a ton of it. So let's talk about our perceptions when it comes to stress. We all have stress. 2019, probably less stressful for most people than 2020. Well, what does 2021 look like? 
Well, it's interesting. I have a unique perspective because I work with a lot of people who come to me specifically to help them with stress. I'm stressed out about my relationship. I'm stressed out about my job. I'm stressed out about money. I'm stressed out about the lockdowns. I'm stressed out about the government and who was president versus who is president and who I thought should be president and so on and so on and so on, right? All kinds of things. And the interesting thing about stress is that most of the stress that we have in our life, we have very little control over, right? There's big overriding things like sudden pandemics that come out of nowhere. But there's also just the little everyday, day-to-day things. But the thing that I want to get across is that if we view stress a little differently, we may handle it much, much better. So my goal in the next 30 minutes is twofold. First, to hopefully give you a little different perspective on what stress actually is and why we experience it, but then also give you some tips on how to manage it better in a very healthy way without the need for pharmaceutical intervention or anything like that. So I I read to you these uh, statistics, you know, 16.1 million Americans in 2015 said that they'd experienced major depression the previous year, 77% experienced physical symptoms caused by stress, 73% psychological symptoms, and almost half of us in America say stress hurts their personal and professional lives. So these are big things. And there's an arsenal of treatments at hand, including talk therapy and antidepressant medications. But what's depressing in itself is that they don't work for every patient. In fact, some of the most recent research that's come out shows that maybe 25% of people put on an antidepressant actually get a benefit from the antidepressant. That's, uh, you know, that's better than the lottery, but the odds aren't that great. One in four. And many people don't respond to these frontline interventions, according to Ben Shapiro, an instructor in psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and a psychologist at Mass General Hospital. Individual cognitive behavioral therapy is helpful for many people. Antidepressant medications help many people, but it's also the case that many people don't benefit from them at all. There's a great need for alternative approaches, he says. Now, I love that he says that because not all MDs are spreading the word about the need for alternative approaches, but, you know, good for him. But another expert, Richard Shelton, MD, the vice chair for research in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, he says getting worked up isn't always a bad thing. And our body's fight or flight response is actually meant to be protective, not harmful. So here's the thing, the fight or flight, how does that work? Well, we have a sympathetic and a parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system, I like to paint a picture because it's challenging and was always challenging for me until I came up with this to help me remember it, the difference between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. And most of the people that I ask about these two systems say, well, I've heard of it, but I don't know what it does. Well, they're competing systems. We basically are in one or we're in the other as far as how our nervous system is behaving. And the sympathetic nervous system is fight or flight. And I like to add freeze in there because nowadays a lot of us freeze when we're really stressed and we just don't progress in life. We stay stuck, basically. And then there's the rest and digest side. And interestingly enough, the two primary energy users in the body are the brain and the gut. And as such, When we're in fight or flight mode, 
we have a lot of blood rushing to the brain to try and get us out of the problem that we're in. We're in rest and digest mode. There's a lot more blood rushing to the gut to digest the meal that we just ate. And those are some of the, the most basic differences, but there's a bunch of them. But in order to keep track of them, what I've said is imagine yourself at 10,000 feet jumping out of an airplane and you've got a parachute on your back and you've been instructed that you're supposed to pull the ripcord after a certain count, right? Well, as you're plummeting towards the earth and potential demise, I've never skydived before. <laughs> I don't do so great with heights, so I'm not very excited about the concept at all. But as you're on your way down, that would put you into a very sympathetic state where you are thinking, I could die. I could die. But when you pull the ripcord, the chute lifts up, everything slows down, you can see the whole view, and instead of racing towards your death, now you're gently falling towards the earth. And you get to see all the beauty on the way down. And I imagine that part of skydiving is epic and amazing. Well, that parachute is your parasympathetic nervous system. That's when you're calm, you're at peace, you're digesting the information in front of you mentally, and you're digesting the food in your stomach physically. And all is well. And the set of hormones and neurotransmitters that are released when you're in the sympathetic nervous system versus the parasympathetic nervous system are very, very different. And in terms of how you feel, you tend to feel much more calm and relaxed in the parasympathetic and much more agitated, irritable, anxious in the sympathetic. But both of these systems are here for our good. And I think that's important. I've often heard people refer to the sympathetic nervous system or the fight or flight mode as like this prehistoric thing, like, you know, saber-toothed tigers coming after you. You're in the sympathetic nervous system. You're fight or flight. And yeah, there's, you know, some anthropological things there, but it's not all bad because I'll give you an example from my own life. I do this show every week and... It takes me a fair amount of time, depending on the topic, anywhere from two to six or seven hours to prepare the show. And that, with my schedule, is a challenge. Every single week, it's a challenge. Every single week, it's a challenge to get ready to prepare the show. And I can look at that challenge one of two ways. I can look at it as a positive thing. It's an opportunity to learn and educate myself more and get my message across to more people. Or it's a threat. It's a threat because I have to sit down and take time away from something else so that I can do the show. And I have to try and get a good show put together that people are actually interested in listening to. And that's a challenge. And I might tick somebody off. I think I do it every week because of the message that I deliver that they just simply don't agree with. And so there's fight or flight and there's rest and digest potential in both of those things. But one of the things that I found out about myself is I'm a world-class procrastinator. I like to put things off and I don't, well, okay. I used to not understand why, but now I do understand why because I've been doing a lot of digging into neurological research, and neuroscience. And what I've learned is pretty simple that when you procrastinate, if you are a procrastinator by nature, which I am, and then you pull it off last minute. I'm going to let you in on a deep, dark secret. Don't tell anybody, okay? Don't say a word. 
It is 1.04 a.m. as I record this. I put it off this week. I'm going to be gone when this airs on Saturday, be out of town, and this is the last chance I have to record the show. And I'm a little more tired than I would like to be, certainly, recording this show. I might sound a little less energetic than I typically do when I record the show, partly because I'm trying to be a little bit more quiet so my son can sleep. But regardless, that is what procrastination does, right? It pushes things off and it creates stress. And in that stress, there comes that fight or flight thing. But if you're like me, there is an opportunity within that procrastination because when push comes to shove and there's a deadline to meet, oftentimes I do my very best work. Why? Because when we're in fight or flight mode, when the cortisol is going and the norepinephrine and the adrenaline rush and all the other stuff that goes on, we get hyper-focused on what we're doing. Because that sympathetic nervous system is designed to put us into a hyper-focused state. Because if you were having to jump out of the way of a bus or run away from a tiger or whatever you want to say, you would want some hyper-focus to get where you need to get to save your butt. Well, most of the stress that most of us deal with on a mostly everyday basis isn't life-threatening at all. And if I don't record this podcast right now, the world's not going to end. My career's not going to end. I'll have some listeners who are disappointed that I had to run another rerun. And I don't like to disappoint the people that like to listen to my show because I'm grateful for every ear that is willing to lend itself to the message that I deliver. And so therefore, many times I find that when I get into that last stage of delivering or not, that I deliver really well because I'm hyper-focused. And interestingly enough, once I hit record, after I've done the preparation, then I go right into rest and digest and I feel great. I'm ready to deliver, all is well, and everything comes off usually without much of a hitch. So fight or flight can be your friend in a big way due to this hyper-focus thing, due to a variety of different aspects of it. However, chronic stress, oh, that's the killer. That's the killer because chronic stress keeps us trapped in that fight or flight mode. And being trapped in that fight or flight mode means that we're hyper-focused on the things that we're stressed out about. And that can come with a lot of collateral damage. What kind of collateral damage? Well, we don't pay that much attention to all the peripheral things. We pay attention to the thing that we're hyper-focused on. And sometimes right now, for a lot of people, that might be politics or it might be health. It might be to do or not to do the COVID vaccine or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. That's the truth of the matter. It doesn't matter what it is you're stressed about, how big or how small it is, because to your brain, it's still stress. It's still stress. So let's talk about some of the other ways that non-chronic stress can be super, super good for you. Acute stress, stuff that comes up that day. Well, let's think physical fitness. This is so obvious. Every one of you probably knows exactly where I'm going with this. You can't build muscle without exercising, right? Well, exercise creates stress to the muscle tissue itself, which then forces the muscle to either 
burn out, break down, or rebuild. And in reality, what weight training is, is breaking down the muscle tissue so it can be rebuild stronger, right? Think of the stress of a forest fire. Well, when the forest fire happens, it's an unbelievably stressful event and most of the trees burn down, but then what comes back from that is a cleaner, more beautiful forest when it grows back, right? So stress just simply isn't all bad. In fact, I would say it's neither bad nor good. In fact, I don't even like the words bad and good anymore. Does that sound weird? Good and bad and right and wrong? Well, what's good to you and what's good to me? Well, I can tell you when I do my rants on Vitality Radio, what my good is ain't your good a lot of the time. What my right is, is oftentimes you're wrong. And that's perception. And the perception of what our stress is matters. So one of the things that you can do to make stress work for you instead of against you is shift your focus, shift your perception. And what do I mean by that? Well, the stress is the stress. But like I said with preparing this radio show, if I shift my focus to I want to deliver the best message I can to people that need to hear it instead of, oh, my gosh, if I don't get this thing done, I'm not going to get any sleep tonight. The circumstance is the same. I put the dang show off, right? I should have recorded it, could have recorded it yesterday. Potentially, I could have recorded it this morning if I would have just gotten up a little earlier. Maybe I would have delivered a better show. Or maybe I wouldn't have because I wouldn't have been quite as stressed out about it. And maybe my focus wouldn't have been as good. The point of the matter is I get to look at it as a threat or I get to look at it as an opportunity. And as we look at stress as an opportunity, the way that you would if you went to the gym this is an opportunity for us to build more muscle. This is an opportunity for us to burn more fat. This is an opportunity to build our cardiovascular wellness. This is an opportunity to get more physically fit and feel better about how we look and the skin we're in. That's how we look at the gym, most of us that go to the gym. At least I hope that's how <laughs> you're looking at it, but I know it's not how everybody looks at it. Certainly not how I look at it sometimes, right? Because sometimes we look at the gym as, oh, God, I got to go again. I got to do all this workout, and then I'm going to be sore, and I'm going to be tired, and I'm going to, you know, whatever it is, right? Or it's going to take an hour out of my day that I don't really have to spare. It's still going to the gym. The circumstance didn't change at all. It's the same dang thing. We just get to choose how we look at it and whether or not it serves us or buries us. And that is stress in a nutshell. But this is what I believe about stress, and this is what psychologists and psychiatrists are believing about stress, that the more that we stress, the stronger we can become. It specifically has shown that low-level stressors stimulate the production of brain chemicals called neurotrophins and strengthens the connections between neurons in the brain, meaning that our brains can actually communicate more effectively, which boosts brain power. It also can increase immunity in the short term. Now, chronic stress weakens the immune system, but acute stress can strengthen the immune system. Think of it this way. We talk about viruses a lot nowadays, don't we? But bacterial infections, viral infections, fungal infections, these are all things that our body then gets to decide how to compete with or how to fight, right? 
And as our body learns how to fight them, it builds up antibodies, builds up a stronger resistance to the next virus that comes along. That's an opportunity, right? It's one of the biggest reasons why I'm okay with getting COVID-19, because I am confident that my body will be better off with real immunity from really coming into contact with a real infection. So that's how I see it. It's how we've evolved and how our bodies work. It's how we build our immunity. And we build it through stress. It can make us more resilient because when we learn that we got through the last big stressor, we recognize that we are more capable than maybe we thought we were. And therefore, it may be easier to get through the next big stressor. There are so many different things that stress can do, including there's been some excellent, excellent research showing that it actually does help us to be more motivated to succeed and to do a better job when we're under stress than when we're not, just like what I said about preparing this show. It can also enhance child development. Moms to be often worry that their anxieties, we're talking about pregnant mothers, right, or mothers to be, will negatively affect their unborn babies. And it can when it's unrelenting. But in 2006, Johns Hopkins study found that most children of women who reported mild to moderate stress levels during pregnancy actually showed greater motor and developmental skills by age two than those of the unstressed mothers. The one exception, the children of women who viewed their pregnancy as more negative than positive had slightly lower attention capacity. Now, I love that last part, but let's talk to them about the first part for a second. The first part says that mothers-to-be, expecting women, who reported mild to moderate stress had kids that had greater motor and developmental skills by the age of two than mothers who said they had a relatively stress-free pregnancy. That's pretty interesting stuff, isn't it? Pretty powerful, I think. The one exception was the children of women who viewed whose perception of their pregnancy was more negative than positive, and those kids had a slightly lower attention capacity. Perception matters. It matters a whole heck of a lot. So I have about 10 minutes left, and I'm going to give you a few tips, most of which are lifestyle-related, but I will talk about a couple of things that you could consider supplementing well as well to help you combat stress and build a stronger resistance to the potential negatives of chronic stress particularly. If you're one who's listening to this show and you say, okay, so yeah, maybe acute stress is good for me, but I'm stressed out at my job every single day. Is that good for me? Well, best answer I can come up with is probably not. Chronic stress creates chronic inflammation. It can create all kinds of issues for us. So if you're dealing with the more chronic form of stress, then the single biggest thing I believe you can do is exercise your power of focus. Exercise your power of focus and shift your perspective to one of how can I grow from this stress that I'm experiencing, even if it's on a daily basis? How can I grow and become stronger? And I can tell you that if you seriously ask yourself that question, you will find ways that that stress can start to serve you. But it's fairly challenging, 
not impossible, but fairly challenging for the vast majority of people when they're in the heat of the moment to think that rationally. Because again, that hyper-focus takes you just to focus on the stress. So the first thing we do when we're stressed out, we're feeling anxiety, those types of things, is we need to make a pause. And what do I mean by that? We need to make a pause. The moment that we're in that stressed condition and we're feeling frazzled and anxious and all that stuff that comes with it, nervous and our hands are sweaty and our chest is tight and all that stuff. The first thing that we need to do is make a pause. And there's a variety of ways that we can do that. One is you can literally extract yourself from the stressful situation if that's possible, right? So get yourself out of the room where the stress is and just take a quick little break to gain some perspective before you re-enter the fray. That's one thing. But you can literally do little hand motions. Some people rub their hands together. Some people snap their fingers. Some people stretch and just shift for a moment, just the briefest of moments. You just shift to focusing on something other than that stressor, which is rubbing your hands, taking a quick walk, breathing deeply, those types of things make the pause. The pause can be split seconds. It doesn't have to be much. But that pause then gives you a chance to think. And it gives you a chance to do some things that can take you from plummeting towards the earth to pulling that ripcord and having the parachute gently lower you towards the ground. So once you make the pause, then you have an opportunity to respond instead of react. And that is a powerful tool because a response means that you've had an opportunity to think about what you're going to do. A reaction is knee-jerk. It's what you typically do. And oftentimes what you typically do isn't serving you. Can we all raise our hands in agreement that that is the case? I think most of us can agree with that. So then you get to do a couple of things. There's something called the physiological sigh. And I talked about it on a show not too long ago, but I'm going to talk about it again. And also I'm going to share with you, if you love listening to Vitality Radio, and I sure hope you do, share it with as many people as you can. Let's get this message out there to as many people as we can. But I'm listening to a lot of podcasts other than mine, right? And the podcast that I'm completely in love with right now is called Huberman Lab, Huber. H-U-B-E-R-M-A-N, Huberman Lab. And he talks about all this neurological stuff, all this science on how your brain really works. And I'm learning so much stuff, regurgitating as much as I can think of with you on Vitality Radio. This guy's fantastic. I love him. Well, he talks about the physiological sigh. And the physiological sigh, I learned it from somebody else first, but she called it the straw breath. And she's an amazing woman who has done something like five, six years of training on how to breathe, like how to really breathe, breathing for health, not just breathing to stay alive. Big difference. But the physiological side, you've recognized it in children. You may recognize it in yourself when you, your child is all worked up and she's running in from scraping her knee and going to mom or dad and saying, hey, this is awful. I hurt. My world's coming to an end and it's terrible and my knee is all scraped up. As you're calming them down, as you're giving them the love that they need and the support and they start to calm down, what do you hear? In almost every case you hear, (sighs) 
And why is that? Because it's programmed in. It's part of our makeup. It's a specific way that we calm ourselves with our physicality, our physiology to calm our psychiatry, okay, and to calm our mind. And you can do that. You can take a quick break, walk into the bathroom stall, do it in your car, do it wherever you want, and just give yourself a few of those physiological sighs. Two deep but quick breaths in through the nose and a long breath out through the mouth. And as you're doing that, you can start thinking about what is your response to the stress as opposed to what your typical reaction might be and how that reaction may be taking you to somewhere where you don't want to be and your response may take you to where you do wish to be. You also can feed your mind. You can feed it with things like magnesium. Most of us are deficient and magnesium burn rate is that it's very highest when we're under hyper amounts of stress. So magnesium glycinate specifically is the best magnesium you can take for most of these things, I believe, but also magnesium threonate is extremely cool stuff. And the research on that for mental cognition is very, very great. So I love both of those things. I have yet to try mag threonate, but I will very, very soon. It's on my list. But mag glycinate has done wonderful things for me. Omega-3. 70% of the gray matter in our brain is made up of omega-3. You've got to nourish the brain if you want the brain to work for you. Also, digestive enzymes. I mentioned earlier how our gut and our brain are the two big energies. They suck all the energy to work effectively. And the more energy our gut has to expend to digest our food, the less energy is left for mental cognition and mental function. And therefore, digestive enzymes with each meal can make a big difference in how much energetic output we have to have in the gut to break down our meals and therefore leaving more for our brains. GABA and theanine. I love GABA and theanine. Theanine is my favorite. And I don't, I'm running very, very short on time, but call us at Vitality if you have questions about these, and we'll explain the difference between GABA and theanine. But they both work on an inhibitory neurotransmitter called GABA, which calms the mind. But theanine also helps to put you into more of a meditative type state. The alpha brain waves kick up with theanine. I also would recommend a couple of really, really simple things that may sound really ridiculous, but they're not. Your physiology controls your psychology in so many ways. Laugh. Find something funny. Find If you've got a favorite cartoon, mine happens to be Calvin and Hobbes, Google it and find a couple of Calvin and Hobbes that you can laugh at and do it. If you've got a comedian you like on YouTube, Google that person up and listen to him for 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes. Find a song that doesn't make you more depressed and anxious, but actually lifts you up and makes you happy and smile. These little things play a huge role in your mental health. And if you want to learn more about these types of tips that I'm giving you on how to manage stress and cope with stress, call us at Vitality and ask us about core wellness. I've talked about it on Vitality Radio before. I'm going to be talking about it a lot more because I find it to be potentially the best thing I've ever come across for your health. But core wellness is a method of learning about how your neurology works, how your brain actually works, and what's going on in your subconscious mind that you don't even know may be dictating many of your decisions on a daily basis. Stress does not have to be your enemy. It can absolutely be your friend. There's more and more research showing that it is your friend if, A, you can keep it from being chronic 
and B, you can learn and grow from it the same way as your muscles would learn and grow from working out hard in the gym. I hope you appreciated what I brought to you on Vitality Radio today. I certainly enjoyed bringing it to you. I am going to go to bed very soon. You may be listening to this at almost 10 o'clock on Saturday morning if you're on the radio. If you have yet to find the podcast, please do. The podcast is great because you get this episode every Saturday and you also get a vintage episode still chock full with great information for you every Wednesday. It's also a great way to share it with your friends and family, which I would very, very, very much greatly appreciate. Thank you so much. If you have questions about anything that you've heard, call us 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Vitality Nutrition is the name, and we are happy to help you with any questions you have, no matter where you're calling from. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been another episode of Vitality Radio. been listening to the vitality radio podcast enjoy your week in the meantime jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it vitality radio is researched and written by jared st Clair, produced by elizabeth joy windham with very limited help from jared our awesome music is by brian bob young Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.